Welcome to Unsung Stories, where we'll be chatting to unacclaimed mamas in the Christian world who love Jesus, are faithfully seeking to know and love God more, and pointing their families to Him. I'm your host, Laura Smith, and I hope that you will find solidarity with a regular mum living out the gospel in regular ways and be encouraged in your own unsung story. Thanks for joining us. Well, hello and welcome to not just another episode of Unsung Stories, but a brand new season with new interviews. Last season, we had a recap of our top or my favourite episodes so far. We have a lot of new followers who loved hearing these for the first time. But for those of us who have been around from the beginning, how good was it to hear these shows again? I found myself being encouraged in new ways as different aspects of the conversation hit home in a new way. Loved it. Over the next few weeks, we'll be hearing from a fresh new lot of women and consider things like idolatry and our sin, gathering with God's people and trusting God. This week, we are encouraged by Sylvia. Uh, It's a great episode as we consider how our hearts are idol factories, how we want to be chasing after our heart's desires, though as Christians, willingly surrender to them to God's plan. I found it really encouraging to hear a woman wrestle with what she wants, but to see her lay them down in service to those around her. It's just a beautiful example of a woman seeking to be faithful with all God's entrusted her with. It's such a beautiful story. So let's jump straight in. Hi, Sylvia. Welcome to Unsung Stories. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Laura. Uh, Just so that our listeners could get to know you a bit more, could you tell us about you, your family life, and just what everyday life looks like for you? Yeah, so I'm married to Sylvester. He's the minister at our church in Woi Woi. We have three beautiful girls, four and a half, seven and nine. My dad lives with us as well. He's been with us for four years now. So these days I'm a wife and a mum and a carer every day and I run a women's Bible study once a week and I do kids church on Sundays and I work one day a week doing women's ministry for my denomination. Yeah, that's beautiful. I, out of all of those amazing things you've said, I didn't realize your husband's name was Sylvester. And so I think that's really cool. Your names match together. He almost said no when he asked me out because I was like, this is going to be weird. Oh, that's so funny. Lucky you looked past that. So that all sounds really beautiful. And I'm wondering, could you jump straight in and just give our listeners an overview of your story so far? What's your background? What's the last few years look like for you? Yeah. So my parents migrated from Egypt about 15 years before I was born. And so I grew up in two cultures, the Australian Mm. culture that was all around me and my parents' Egyptian culture. I'm the youngest of five kids. There's 15 years between me and my eldest brother. So they had me a lot later in life Mm. and we were raised in a Christian family. But as a kid, I spent a lot of time trying to work out what values were shaped by mum and dad's Egyptian culture and the ones that were shaped by their love for Jesus or the Bible. Mm. That would be that'd be really hard tension to live in. Definitely, especially because mm. they thought that everything they were doing was because it's what the Bible said and mm. like other Christians from other cultures not doing the same things and so mm. a lot of work to assess that. Yeah. I didn't do that kid either. I did that much later in life. Yes, yeah, gotcha. <laughs> um, but when I was 10, my mum was diagnosed with breast cancer and she did go into rem- remission for a little while, but it was really six long years of her being unwell. And she passed away when I was 16. 
So we went from all all of us together, the five siblings, rallying around mum and caring for her uh, to then rallying around dad and caring for him. He really didn't cope well with the loss. He was so sure that God would heal her. And so her death hit him really hard. Mm. And so my sisters and I were teenagers and we had to grow up really quickly. So when I was in year 12, it was the year after mum died, I was doing my HSC. We had a cleaning roster and a cooking roster. My dad was an army man. And so (laughs) every day we would have to do what was on that roster. And some days I'd come home from school and I would cook dinner for the family. My brothers, who were much older, had a bunch of kids by then, and so there was a lot of babysitting. And I just I really wanted to get out. Kids and family felt like such an imposition, and I really didn't want to have kids or be a mother. I really didn't even want to be tied to my family. I met Sylvester when I was in my early 20s. He's also a child of migrants. He moved to Australia with his parents from Hong Kong when he was five, And when he met, he was doing a ministry apprenticeship and was about to go to Bible college. I'd already dabbled in a few subjects at Bible college and had visions of being a missionary overseas. Um, So the life of a minister's wife wasn't what I'd envisioned. It's been a delight. And then I went from growing up between two cultures to now hopping in and out of three cultures. So that's been a learning process as well. We moved to Woi Woi when he finished Bible college and we've been here for almost 10 years. That was another culture shock. Moving in a West Sydney for all my life. When we had our first daughter, Dad actually moved in with me for the six weeks before the birth, and he tried to do all the things that a mother would do, and even offered to be there when I was in labour. And I was like, "Oh, isn't that beautiful?" It was beautiful. And those first few years in motherhood, we talked every single day, and sometimes several times a day. I went back to Bible college when our eldest daughter was one, and Dad came every day I was in class, and he'd take her out, look after her. Um, That's so beautiful. Yeah. By the time I was pregnant with our second child, though, he'd begun to show some signs of dementia. So he'd call me from Burwood and say, I've lost my car. I can't find where I parked it while he was at the shops. Or a couple of times he'd call me and say, is mum alive? I'm waiting outside the ladies' bathroom and I don't know if she's coming out. Oh. And so that was really agonising being so far away and having to talk him through those things. And, it, yeah, just the dementia was becoming really apparent. And mm. within 12 months of his diagnosis, we had our third baby. And a few months after that, we moved him up to Woi Woi to live with us. And so it's a little bit ironic, but I found myself doing exactly what yes. I wanted to do when I was younger. I'm tied to a family, I'm raising children, and I'm caring for my elderly father. Yeah, wow. That sounds quite a journey you've been on. I noticed that you said that motherhood wasn't something that you've desired. So I'm wondering what did you desire? And if not something physical like a job, was there any hard things that you were hoping for in your life? Like what kind of person did you want to be? How did you want people to see you? I think what I desired was just freedom. When I look back, I can see that the trauma of having a parent so sick for so long meant that I really lost my childhood. Mum and dad understandably were absent parenting for a lot of that time while she was in treatment and getting therapy. And so my sisters and I had to grow up really quickly and learn not just to care for ourselves, but to care for the family and to Mm. care for her. So when I was in year 10 and 11, every few days it had been my job to help mum change the dressing on. She'd had a mastectomy and the wound just wouldn't heal for two years. Uh, It was an open sore. And so it was my job twice a week to help her change the gauze. And even talking about it, I'm transported right back to the memory. It's been more than 20 years, but I can smell the wound and the gauze and the feeling Mm. of it and that feeling in the pit of my tummy when I had to face the open wound and try to control my reaction so that I wouldn't embarrass her. 
you know, that because I was a bit grossed out. And so I spent a lot of time looking at my friends and thinking, I want to have younger, healthy parents like them, or I want the freedom of being raised in an Australian culture and doing what I want when I wanted. I saw my friends who could come and go as they pleased. They didn't have to worry about cooking meals for their family or going to church on Sundays. They weren't caring for anything besides their own interests, at most maybe a pet that they had to take for walks. So my heart desired to be free. I wanted to do what I wanted when I wanted. I didn't want to live a life of service to anyone. I didn't want kids or a church family or even a husband. I envisioned this life of singleness, living this independent woman life, (laughs) like London or New York, far away from my family. I did really well in school. I loved English. I'm an articulate speaker, good at writing, and I thought maybe I'll become a journalist, do my thing, not be tied to anyone. Um, I even imagined myself leaving the faith. Uh, I just wanted people to see me as evolved and successful and competent, independent, kind of as far away from my family as I could Mm. uh, imagine. But then I went to uni and that was such a shock to the system. I was still grieving the loss of my mum, the loss of my childhood. Dad was in a really deep depression and the grief really froze me. And I sank into depression. It was suicidal ideation, feelings of hopelessness. I really hated that time of my life. Looking back, it was probably the worst three to five years. But I can see that it was a gift of grace from God. It was a protective barrier because it meant I couldn't go study overseas like I'd hoped and run away from my family. I didn't get the get out of jail free card. I was stuck. I was stuck with my family. I was stuck at home. And I was stuck in this life that I couldn't improve. And in that really hard season, I learned to really depend on and trust God as my source of hope and comfort. I really leaned into God. And since then, I've been to therapy. But in those days, I didn't have access to things like that. All I had was God. And I took my depression to him and my grief to him. And so I grew in my faith. I grew in really loving and trusting Jesus with everything, all the details of my life. And that desire to escape gradually faded. I began to consider that maybe I'd be happy to get married. And then after we got married, I thought, okay, maybe we could have a couple of kids. And with each child that came, my heart grew more and more. And I just can't imagine myself living a different life to what I have now. So God did the work on my heart really slowly only giving me what I could handle in that moment. And we were really blessed. Being mum to these three little girls has been such a joy and a delight. It's the best thing I've ever done with my life. But it's so funny how quickly those idols creep back in and just replace the old idols. I created an idol in the identity of being mum, the best mum ever, the most compassionate and caring mum. I wanted to be seen that way. I wanted to be that kind of mum. When I was finishing up my studies, it actually took me eight years to finish at Bible college because I did that part-time while having kids. And on the last day of my last exam, one of my favourite lecturers asked me, so what's next, Sylvia? And I just felt my stomach churn. I was so embarrassed to say, Dad's moving in with us and I'm going to be his carer. Mm. It was really hard because I'd replaced that vision of successful journalism career with a successful mothering role, and then maybe I'd have a successful career in ministry, but that was going to be interrupted. It was so clear to my husband and I that this is what God wanted for us next, Mm -hmm. for as long as we can to provide the care for Dad that he needs. And then that quickly became another vehicle for an idol. I was going to be the best, most able, competent carer, and I wanted everybody to see Mm -hmm. that. 
And so I've just kept creating these idols of value. I keep trying to find my value in my work or career or the role that God's given me in that season. I'm desiring that people will affirm it and celebrate it and see that I'm the best ever at doing this job. Uh, I want it to be celebrated for what I do, whatever it is. I want to be seen and acknowledged and applauded for that. When I know what God really wants for me is to live a quiet life in faithful service to Him. Yeah, that's great. So when you notice these idols in your heart, how did it make you feel? And then what did you do with them? It's so hard to confront the desires of my heart and idols. I think my instinct is always to glorify my intentions. I'm such a kind person. But then God holds up that mirror and shows me the depth of sin and it's really mm. hard to take in. And the idol of being that strong, independent woman, um, it's really hard for me to say this and acknowledge that as an idol because I went to a public girls' high school. I was taught by feminists. I'm a mother of three incredible girls and this goes against everything I was raised to believe and what I've been trained to want for my girls. But when I read the Bible, I don't see independent women. I see the strength of women as helper or Isa in the Hebrew. That's who God has made us women to be. Whether we've been blessed with marriage and motherhood or singleness and a career, we're meant to be helpers. That was a really hard idol to identify, that idol of independence, and lay it down. It's been slow work to demolish it too. It still flares up every now and then, this desire to be free of caring from dad for dad, to live my life as a wife, a mother, and a worker, to not be tied to dad's care and needs. But I was created to be a helper. And so I've spent a lot of time reflecting on the word Ezer or helper in the Bible, looking at the heroic models of women in the Bible like Deborah and Jael in Judges, or the faithful women like Sarah and Hannah, the model of the Shunammite woman who extended hospitality in two kings, Hulda the prophetess, all the Marys in the Gospels, Joanna, Lydia and Priscilla, and that's really helped expand my view of women and what it means to be a helper but it's also helped to break down this idol of independence. I wasn't created to be independent. I was created to be a helper. And, and I think that's true for both men and women. It's not as if our men are going out and having these roles that we're only designed to help our men. I think it's where all co-heirs in Christ's ambassadors, we are partnering with him to do his work, not God partnering with us to do our work, yeah, which is so countercultural to our culture. Like our culture tells you you can have everything you want, but it's all about building this life here and now, yeah. whereas all of us, no, no matter our gender, is to be a helper, to, to partner with Christ. And it's such a lie that we can have it all. That's been probably the most confronting thing is mm. it's not possible to have the career be a mum and be involved in a church ministry and be a member of your community and have time for yourself. It is such a lie, mm. just impossible. And so having the freedom to have to pursue all of those things has is such a blessing. I think mm. resting. Mm. This is who God has made me to be. And, mm. enough. and I think that needs to be our driver. That is our identity of we are in Christ, we are partnering with him, that's where we find our value and our worth of who Jesus says we are, not this world. Yeah. Um, and so these other idols of where I find my value and my desire for others to value me, this is ongoing daily work. I have to continually ask the Lord to search out my heart 
Show me any ways that I've replaced Jesus as the source of my value, purpose, and pride. Mm. And so what truths of the Bible have comforted you through this whole process? So much of Scripture compels us to joyfully, wholeheartedly serve. And so beginning with serving Dad, the fifth commandment, honour your father and mother so that it may go well with you. 1 Timothy 5.16, if any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. That one's been really foundational for me. I think living between cultures, I wanted to make sure that I was doing what Jesus wanted me to do, not conforming to my Egyptian culture and what I was trained to do is right there and not conforming to the Australian culture because a lot of well-meaning people, even Christians, shake their heads at me like I'm giving up my best years, Mm. like I'm harming myself by caring for Dad, and there's a lot of guilt that comes with that. But I think there's a really clear directive there in Scripture. But there are also these beautiful Scriptures written by Paul in the New Testament about the way in which we are to serve. Philippians 2, verses 3 to 7. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Romans 12.1 Offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your act of spiritual worship. Galatians 5.13, you were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. That's beautiful. Yeah, and these really beautiful verses have compelled me to sacrificially serve my dad, my kids and my church. Over the last four years, we've really had to count the price of what it means to care for dad. We've had to give up a lot of our social life. We can't just get a babysitter for the kids. We have lots of people who would be willing to do that, but we also have dad at home and our family are a couple of hours away. We've had to sacrifice our productivity and financial security. Um, This isn't a martyrdom cry, but it's just one of those things we had to sit down and talk through and really calculate the cost of what it means for me not to be working. Mm. We had to have had to give up the better holidays, the dream of owning a house, the after-school activities for our kids, not just the cost of those, but I can't drag Dad around to gymnastics and swimming and music every afternoon. Mm. So it's impacted not just me as a carer and my ability to work, but also our kids. Mm. And sometimes a bit of anxiety creeps in with that of I've lost a career or I've lost social status, we've lost financial security, we've lost the ability to make good friends. I'm behind my peers when I look around at what other women are doing and even are my kids going to struggle because they don't get to do all the after-school activities. And when that anxiety creeps in, I turn to 1 Peter 5.7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He cares for me. The Lord is concerned with the tiny details. He's here through it all. It's such a profound thought that the God who created the universe intimately cares for me. And with being a carer, there comes a level of invisibility. We become invisible in our communities. As carers, we spend a lot of time indoors because the person we're caring for can't safely be left alone and can't cope very well with being dragged around outside. And so 
we lose our place in society, our place in the workforce, our place in the school community. We become invisible and living in this tiny contained home all the time. And then the name that Hagar gives to God in Genesis 16.13 really comforts me. She calls him El Roy. He is the God who sees me. God sees me, scrubbing up the mess, clipping nails, shaving my dad's face, folding another load of laundry. He sees it all. I'm not invisible to him. The God of the universe sees me, and that's all the being seen that I need. That's so beautiful and so encouraging. Caring for your dad is also a lot like caring for kids, and it feels very overlooked and very unvaluable. It makes me think of 2 Corinthians where Paul is going through great suffering, but he says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. Amen. And and just as Paul's talking in those chapters and he's fixing his eyes on eternity and he's talking about how the things that we're going through in this life Well, they are light and momentary, which we know from Paul's story they're not, but that they're achieving things in heaven and it's a pleasing to God and such a helpful reminder to fix our eyes, not what is seen, but what is unseen. Yeah. I'm wondering how this realignment of your thinking, focusing on pleasing God, how has this helped you as you battle with your sin and your heart idols? I think all of this has really helped me have a bit of perspective about the futility of the idols I've built. It's helped me to see that Jesus is literally all that I need. I came across these verses from Jonah chapter 2, verse 8 to 9, a few years ago for Kids Church, and I've now hung them up on my wall. (laughs) It says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. Oh, that's amazing. Go, well, Jonah. Yeah, don't read the rest of the story. Let's just... Well, he came from the end and I feel like a lot of us are like, Jonah, no way, I'm not doing what you want me to do. I'm going to do my own thing. That's right. Those verses have been my anchor when facing these mm-hmm. idols. What grace am I forfeiting by clinging to idols? Mm. Not just the grace of knowing Jesus. When it comes to this idol of independence, I for, for, I forfeit the grace of knowing what it is to serve and join Jesus in his servant ministry. I forfeit the grace of being part of a family, of knowing what it is to love others as I love myself. I forfeit the grace of salvation when I think God is impressed by my good works. I forfeit the grace of being renewed each day by Jesus. His promise is that his grace is sufficient. It's enough. Jesus promises in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And so even in the weakness, the failures, the invisibility, the desire to be seen, the desire to be independent, the desire to be valued because of what I do, God's power is made perfect even in my weakness. And so when I see the weakness and these idols, I need to bring them to God. I want him in his power to destroy the idols because I'm not strong enough. I want him to prove his honour by showing how worthless and hopeless they are and how worthy and wonderful he is. 
I want to depend on his grace so that when I build more worthless idols, I think it was Calvin who said our hearts are an idol factory, (laughs) he'll expose my folly and take them away so that I can cling only to him. That's beautiful. Have you noticed, as you just said, our hearts are idol factories. That's not ever going to go away. And you know how we say, I'm not where I want to be in terms of putting our sin to death, but I can look back and by the grace of God, I'm not where I was. Can you see growth in these areas of your life? Yeah, it's a constant battle, but I think the really helpful thing about preparing for this podcast is reflecting and being mm. able to do that. And so one of the my things lately is just before I close my eyes at night, before I go to bed, my and my first thoughts each morning are from Lamentations 3. And I usually sing it in Colin Buchanan's voice, if you know his song. No, it's not coming to me, so please sing away. No, I'll spare you, but I'll read it. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. God's been so kind to renew me each morning. I'm not so consumed by the stress or the burden, even the financial sacrifice we've had to make. He gives me just enough energy to get through each day. But most importantly, I've seen this shift in my heart. I'm finding more and more that the Lord is my portion. He's enough. I don't need to be seen by the world because the Lord sees me. I don't need to place my value in what I do. My value is in what Christ has done. The Lord is my portion. The Lord is enough. Jesus is enough for me. And I think what's happened as a result is this joy has crept in as I care for Dad I'm I'm still human. I still need respite. Uh, my siblings help with that. I still take an hour every morning to go to Pilates or go for a walk and do something for myself away from dad and the family. But I have this deep joy. I'm really delighting in serving my dad and kids. And I know that God is delighting in me as I serve them. I know that my service for them is done as unto Jesus. Jesus has given me so much joy in this work. Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful. Just thinking through everything that you have learned as you've been going through this refinement, what encouragement or hope would you want other women to learn from your story? What would you want them to remember? I think the desire to be independent and free from responsibility, even being applauded for what we do on earth, that all goes back to the garden, doesn't it? Eve doesn't want the responsibility of obeying God's command. She wants the freedom to do what she wanted when she wanted. Eve wanted to be like God. She wanted to have the knowledge of God. All of creation was glorifying the creator. And gosh, I can't help but think that she wants to be glorified too. And so it's normal, right? It's part of our human nature, our sin nature, to crave freedom and to crave glory. So if there are other mums listening who think, oh, yeah, that's me, that's one of my heart idols, you're just being human, And one of the beautiful things that Jesus has done for us is give us freedom from the slavery of sin, freedom from having to pursue power and status and career and value in the things of this world. Like we see in Philippians 2, Jesus has shown us what it is to be free and secure enough to not grasp at status or power, but to lay it down in service of others. There is such freedom in laying your life down for others. And it's such a beautiful way to draw close to Jesus 
imaging him and depending on him. Jesus has already laid down his life for us. That is the true measure of our value. So whatever we're doing, may we do it well and to the best of our ability, but also to bring glory to God, not to ourselves. I would hope that together as mums struggling with these idols and as we serve our family, we would remember that God sees us. He cares for us and he's our portion. He is all we need. Amen. Thank you so much, Sylvia, for all your encouragement today. I've really appreciated, I think, just even the that someone else wrestles with what I wrestle with, and I'm sure everyone else does too, but just that reorientating our thoughts and our minds, what is the successful life? Um, mm. And just even just so we are idol factories, we keep creating these idols, we keep wanting to be seen as X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And just the reminder to to be challenging ourselves. Where are we getting our value? And I think just to keep coming back to God, that it's Him that we're serving. It's Him that identifies us or that who our identity is in. I've just been really thankful for the way that you've stepped through your story to share with us today. So thank you. Thank you. I'm wondering, would you mind praying for the mums who might be struggling with the same things as us and that, yes, they will choose to turn and seek Jesus instead of themselves yeah sure father God we just thank you so much because in your kindness you have created us and loved us from the beginning of the world we thank you so much that even while we were still sinners Christ died for us and we praise you Jesus because you have lived the perfect example and you bind us to you through your spirit Lord, we ask that you will continue to expose to us the idols that our hearts keep creating, that we will see them and not be consumed by them and not be consumed by guilt, but that we will bring them to you and allow you to prove to us just how worthless these idols are and just how worthy you are. Father, when we struggle with the desire to be seen, when we struggle with the desires to place our value of the things of this world, when we lose our identity and think it is tied to the role that we do or the work that we do. Father, please strip those idols away from us and please help us to see that our value is in the blood of Jesus on the cross, that our worth is what he has already paid, that we are made in your image and we will return to you one day, and that all the things we do in this life are building up treasures for us in heaven. So may we do them for you. May we do them for your glory and for your honour. And may we be freed from the slavery of sin and the slavery of trying to prove our worth or value here on earth. We thank you so much for your kindness to us, that your spirit is in us, transforming us. And we ask that you help us to rest in him, to rest in your grace to us, that we might, that our sacrifice might be a worthy aroma pleasing to you. Amen. Amen.